Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Captain Jeff. Welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. I got Stephen Busak in the studio tonight, The Shepherd. Steve, thanks for coming into the Lunker Dog Studios. Thank you for inviting me, brother. How you doing? Good. I'm figuring fantastic. Did you listen to my Bill Dance episode? Not yet. Dude, you got to listen to my Bill Dance episode. I know, man. Because I bet it was epic, dude. That was this week's featured episode. I know, man. I, just, I, I had a lot going on this week, you know? I recorded that episode four times. And finally, on the fourth time, I was like, okay, this is my Bill Dance episode. Like, I was not going to do... You're very proud of that, too. Well, I just wasn't feeling the first couple, three episodes I did. I was listening to them, and I'm thinking, like, it just didn't go over the way I There was no rhythm. I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. And then I did that last recording, I was listening to it, and I was like, that was good. I was like, that served Bill Dance the justice that he deserved. You know, it's funny. I think about it, it's like recording podcasts can almost be like sometimes going on a date. You know what I mean? No. Where it's like... I haven't been on a date since I was 16. Well, yeah, I know. But let me learn you something today. So it's like, you know, sometimes the first date's not going to go so well and you got to go on, you know, maybe another couple of dates to really figure out, really find your groove, so to speak. And on that note, so it, this is something so off topic, but I saw this today on Instagram and I have to tell you about this. So... <laughs> My friend went on a date last night. Right. Okay. She lives in Nashville. And she told, and apparently it was like ridiculous that apparently the guy sat there 
for 10 straight minutes and did like voice impersonations well, that were god awful. Slow, slow down a little bit. Now, who's this girl? My friend Marley up in Nashville. And how do you know her? Through work. Okay, so you guys were work together. Correct. But she lives in Nashville. But she lives in Nashville. All right. Yes. So she went on this day last night. And I guess and, the and she's your age. Yes. Okay. She's twenty six. Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yes. Okay. So I guess the dude's doing like voice impressions for like ten minutes straight. That apparently just were god awful. Bad voice impressions. Bad voice impressions. Yes. So and she was so entertained by it that she put on her Instagram story today. She was like, "I want." people out there tell me about like some funny experiences or worst experiences that you guys have had on your first dates and i really want to read you and, and everybody that's listening some of these some of these um these experiences because quite frankly they act some of these had me like literally laughing on the floor so the one girl said a dude asked me on the first date what my ring size was on the first date on the first date maybe it was a jeweler um uh, Possibly, but okay. Ring size. Yeah. Um, the other, and somebody else said that she went on a first date with a guy that said that he collected human teeth. Okay. Might have been a dentist. Maybe, maybe when he dies, he wants to be the tooth fairy. Maybe. Or maybe he already is. He doesn't need to die. Can you be a fairy and be alive? That's a good question. Somebody else <laughs> said, we were at a restaurant and a homeboy reached under the table and started rubbing my ankle. An ankle rubber. An ankle rubber. That's a new one. So we had to break the ice. Yeah. <laughs> Next one said, this was pretty funny. She said, the guy asked me on the first date why my past relationships failed. <laughs> it's like, all right. On a first date. And then, of course. That's actually a good question. <laughs> it is, but not on the first date. Yeah, get right to it. Oh, my God. But this is my favorite one, though. The date was so awkward. That he used the excuse that he needed to go home and clean his air vent. <laughs> you like that one? I like that one. You got a weird sense of humor. I really do. And these people got weird... Uh, first dates. First dates. And speaking of firsts, I did a first of my own yesterday. Really? I went on my first Marlin trip, dude. Really? You went out on the blue water? I did on the blue water. I got off the flat... And I went with my buddy TJ Ralph from Flatline Sport Fishing. And we were trolling for, I think we got out there around 8 o'clock. And we trolled till about 2 o'clock. Um, we didn't even see one. Really? <laughs> we didn't even see one. Well, 8 to 2, you would call that a short session. I had a feeling. It's a good session. Okay. But it's not a long session. That's like, you know, so a short session. So I wanted to really, I want to actually kind of dive into marlin fishing today because I'm actually like really fascinated by marlin. Um, they're a badass fish. You know, if you look, like there's not a lot of things that are really, like a, yes, a sailfish has, you know, the bill and the swordfish has the bill, but the marlin just has attitude to me. And I can respect that. And how are you gauging this? How is he, how is he giving you attitude from what you've seen on TV and YouTube and stuff? Because I haven't seen any other... I haven't seen sailfish or swordfish come flying into the boat at people. Well, they do. <laughs> it's it's they, scary. I'm sure in the moment I'd probably freak out, but watching it's pretty badass. Well, it's not like the sailfish and the, and the swordfish don't end up in the boat. Sometimes they do. Well, yeah, but those but... marlin videos you've seen, that's intense. Yes. When they jump right into the boat. Well, no, I just the marlin to me is like, like the marlin to me is almost like the alpha male. Well, I shouldn't say male, but just the alpha. 
of oh. the ocean. You and know what I mean? I think they call them apex predators. I mean, if you think about it, dude, I mean, there's a video of a freaking like a 1,200-pound marlin trying to go after a 30-pound mahi. You and I both know how big a 30-pound mahi is. No, they'll, eat a, they'll, they'll, they'll suck that thing right down. But I understand. Think about how big that thing has to be to be able to eat that. Exactly my point. Now, they will, uh, yeah, no, it's not a big deal for Marlon to eat, you know, a 20, 30-pound, 40-pound fish. They'll suck them right down. You guys did, my, now, how long were you and your dad doing Marlin fishing for, would you say? No, we did a lot of Marlin fishing from, say, 1981 to 1996, me and my old man. What was probably your favorite place to fish for him? Well, my favorite place to fish for him was Treasure Key out in the Abacos. Now, it wasn't necessarily the best marlin fishing that, you know, destination that we've ever frequented. But one of the nice things about fishing for marlin off the Abacos is there's always a chance to get a grander out there. A grander? That's a thousand pound fish. Right. In the Abacos. Well, I mean, you can get a grander anywhere, but on the outer side of the northern Bahamas, you have a shot of getting a thousand pound marlin. A grander at any given time. A six, seven, eight hundred pounder, but you know what I mean, big fish. Now, you don't get them every single you know trip. Most of the fish are between 150 and 350 pounds. But just knowing that you're sitting out there. And he could be there. Yeah. And, that, and when you're a marlin fisherman, I mean, that's what your really, your ultimate goal is, is to. What was it about the marlin for you that made it something that you guys wanted to target so much? Well, the way the marlin fishing was presented to me at, at a very young age was a pretty high intensity game with line classes and world records. And um, as I was learning how to marlin fish, my dad was in the ILTA, International Light Tackle Association. And he was friends with a bunch of Venezuelan dudes that taught him how to fish marlin on light tackle. So the whole idea of marlin fishing was targeting certain size fish with certain size tackle and then getting them in in ridiculously fast fashion. What's considered, so the, I was going to ask you, so because when TJ and I went out there, like, you know, TJ, offshore is his thing, you know? Um, but I, and I straight up said to him, I said, dude, I said, I've been offshore once. And that was with Drew. I said, listen, I said, you're going to have to be patient with me because I don't know what the hell I'm doing out here. And, you know, he was like, dude, he goes, I've never marlin fished either. So he was like, you and I are both going to be basically in the same boat. So neither of us necessarily really knew what to expect if we even had one to hit. I mean, what can you say? What can you expect to get when you're fishing, like when you actually get one to hit? Well, the way the marlin game works is I don't know, especially out off, you know, in these areas where there's not just a huge abundance of them. I don't think your expectations should be nil. You shouldn't exactly expect to get a marlin when you get out there. Let alone see one. Never, right. <clears throat> Not that you won't get one, but the expectations of getting one, you don't expect to get one every single time. Yeah. But your expectations should be about getting your spread out there to catch one and getting yourself in a position in the right area where one might actually come up on the bait. And those are the expectations that you should have when you get ready to do a marlin trip. You know what I mean? You want to make sure that all your preparation is right, the right gear, the right teasers for the right boat, the right area, and 
then you have to be able to expect to put in serious time and energy trying to get one of these fish. Those are the things that you can expect while you're marlin fishing. It was a lot, dude. I was like, wow. What do you I mean? Knew, no, it was just the preparation for it. You know, all the different gear you have to use, and there's a lot of things have to be right. Like you have to have the right weighted lead for the dredges and everything like that. Like there's a lot that goes in. But then again, I mean, I don't really know too much about offshore fishing in general, but like the people that go trolling for mahi and kingfish, I mean, it doesn't sound as complicated as the stuff that we had to do for this. Well, I mean... There's levels in everything, but in order to get a marlin to come up behind the boat, to have a you know a, a decent chance, there's everything has to be in play. Everything has to be right, and then because you're making everything right, you might have a chance of actually getting one up behind the boat. Now, you've heard me refer to Mitchell and I fishing for marlin off the Zendog. Yep, with Dan the Man. Dan the man was just kind of there but me and Mitchell were doing the marlin fishing <laughs> but it was no big deal it was no big deal for 20 to 30 hours preparation Jesus getting ready to fish that's before you even went out you know what I mean and then when you actually get out there you know yeah there's some work involved but you, you're spread out there and you can get really good and well practiced at it but um the preparation is huge, huge. Rigging baits is, you know, extremely important. And people are freaks about their baits. Like Mitchell did not want any help with any of the hook baits. Well, not like Dan the man would have helped him anyway. but Or me or anybody else <laughs> because he was so overly concerned about every last detail. And then if a, if a bait didn't swim the exactly the way he wanted to swim, he only had one person to look at, and that would be himself. himself. And, he was a perfectionist. Right. He, and that was, his, that was his big thing. So he just kind of left him alone. He let him focus and concentrate. He was going to be the dude in the cockpit dealing with the spread and where, how far back he was going to put his lines. And, you know, and then, of course, things would change because of the weather, currents, you know, little mild changes. And then he knew exactly what he needed to do if it got too choppy or if we were going against the current as opposed to with the current. If there was going to be a lot of weeds in the water as opposed to not a lot of weeds in the water, you know, there's a lot of different, all you know, variables. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, well, there's a lot you have to take into consideration. But you bring up a point that I want to ask you. Um, what is considered good conditions for fishing for marlin? Are we talking flat calm? Are we talking a little choppy? Like, what did you figure out was probably the best way to, best conditions to fish for them? I mean, I think most offshore fish, fishing's better when it's rough out there. You know what I mean? Not to say we haven't caught plenty of marlin on, you know, perfectly flat days or whatever. But um, there's some conditions out there that are just so hard to fish. And, you know, it's pretty pretty consistent, you know, when the wind starts getting up over 20 miles an hour, you know, or fishing in a following sea, you know, can be a big pain in the ass because you're, 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 you're the speed of your boat is just all over the board. So... You know, it's a little bit different when you think of it like that or when you try to figure out what's the best day. Now, of course, the calmer it is and the easier it is to deal with the baits, easier it is to see everything. And then, of course, the calmer it is, the more time you can spend out there. Yeah. And really, when it comes to marlin fishing, is time is totally different. 
because it's not like, oh, okay, we're going to put in a half a day. It's okay, we're going to put in a season. How long is this, and how long is considered a season? Well, it depends where you're fishing and who you're fishing with. Let's talk about the abacos with you and Mitchell. Oh, and the abacos, okay, my season, for the most part, was the same time that they'd have the Bahama Billfish tournament season. And you would start fishing at the end of April, beginning of May. And at the end of April, beginning of May, conditions were tough. Caribbean's windy and it's rough and it's nasty. Then um, going into the first week of June into July, um, most of the tournaments ended right after the 4th of July. Um, but those last six weeks of fishing, usually the weather cooperated and it would get real calm and you were able to really, you know, enjoy some of the places you were yes. at instead of it being such a pain in the ass. And you could probably see a hell of a lot better too. Just everything, you know, when without the wind, without the seas, um, you know, everything's just a little bit easier and a little bit more enjoyable. So anyway, that season, you know, was uh, those three months, you know. Um, the guys down in uh, Texas and in the Gulf, they're fishing all summer long through August into September. That's kind wow. of their season, right? And um, you go south um, in the Caribbean, you know, south of the Bahamas, and um, yeah, you know, the season's a little bit earlier into the into the uh, winter time. Like yeah. you're talking more towards like South America. Yeah, Virgin Islands, you know, St. Thomas, all those places. You know, you're looking at you know February, March, April, you know, May, of course. But those always seems to be the best times. What's the biggest marlin you guys ever got? We didn't kill the damn thing. You did or didn't? Did not. Did not. Most of the time they're catch and release anyway, I think, though, right? A lot of the times um, in the Pacific, some of the tournaments and some of the people kill the marlin to eat them. But usually a lot of the, a lot of the fish, almost all the fish are released. But I'd say the biggest fish that I ever got to the boat was probably right around 600, 650 right in there. Like you actually got in boat side, you mean, right? Yeah, boat side. You know, we were leader and everybody's ooing and on and taking pictures, and you know, and it was a pretty were, good sized fish. Were you able to get your hands on them, or you guys just don't even take a chance and just no, kind of step hold back? No, bill, and you know, yeah. And then when you're releasing them, you know, you're kind of taking your time because those big fish are pretty, yeah, pretty lethargic. Once you whoop them like that, you want to make sure you take your time and revive so you, them real well. Yeah, so you can hold them by the bill. And actually, those big fish like that. Um, once they're under control, they're a little bit easier to handle a lot of times than so, the smaller fish. So I wanted to ask you, too. So <clears throat> I'm going to say when because TJ and I are not giving up. We're going to keep doing this until we get one. Right. When we finally get one hooked, what are we looking at in terms of time of fighting this thing? Is it like a tarpon where it's you know 45 minutes to an hour, or what are you thinking? Well, here off of Fort Lauderdale, most of the fish are going to be between 150 and 250 pounds. So, unless you guys are fishing with stuff that are lighter than 30s, you know, your fight time's only going to be 10 to 30 minutes. That's it? Probably, yeah. That's not too bad. I was like wondering if it was going to be like almost like the tunas when you were saying where it's like four hours. Well, now you get one, you know, 250, 300 pounds on a 30, and he's a stubborn fish and he fights deep. Yeah, it might be a couple hours before you can get him up. You know, each and fish. Then, and then if you, what about a thousand pounder? That's got to be freaking... Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with um, not so much the size of the fish, but how good the crew and captain work together. Like in Venezuela, um, especially when you were catching white marlin, if, 
if the captain and the angler and the mate, if that marlin sounded and went down deep, they just cut the line. Because rather than take 15 or 20 minutes to get that thing up, up out of the depths, they'd rather just cut the line, put the baits back out, and try to get another one. Because really? it's all about numbers. That was in Venezuela. That was in Venezuela. The white marlin fishing and the sail fishing there, you know, it was all about numbers. So the way the, the, way the tournaments worked were, I mean, you would hook up, and the, the captain would back down the fish so fast and so hard, and you would leader that fish and pop them off. I mean, a lot of times in less than two minutes. <laughs> I think there's certain uh, captains that do something similar to that around here, too, I think. Well, there's guys that do sailfishing like that here. Yeah. And it's pretty intense, you know. Um, See, that's a me I wouldn't like. I would actually like the joy of fighting him, wearing him out, well, and yeah. then getting him both side and where we could actually take a picture with him. Well, there's an evolution to everything, you know. When you first start catching him, yeah, take your time, fight him, get the picture, you know. After you caught a few fish around, you know, 150 to 200 pounds, and, you know, so you get a dozen of those underneath your belt, well, then maybe you want to, like, see how fast you can catch them. You know what I mean? Interesting. If you want to compete, and then you have to practice how fast you can catch them. You know, so There's everything... some big money to be one of those tournaments, too. Yeah, yeah. The tournaments aren't like they used to be. Now, um, there's some huge tournaments up in the Mid-Atlantic and the Carolinas now. Like, they just did that big rock tournament. Is that the one where freaking uh, MJ caught that giant one? Did you see that? Uh, just the last couple of days? Yeah. Yeah. That was and, badass. Yeah. And um, those tournaments, you know, like you said, you got Michael Jordan in the goddamn thing. And... There'll be, I don't know, I think there was 280 boats. You know what I mean? The payouts are in the millions. Jesus. You know, so you got those big tournaments. Um, they have that big white marlin tournament up there in New Jersey somewhere or something like that. The Bisbee or whatever. And these tournaments are huge. And some of those tournaments are really thriving. But the tournaments that I fished and the tournaments that I knew about mostly were here in South Florida, they used to have the billfish tournaments here. We used to fish for marlin here, and there was tournaments. And then the Bahama billfish chain, which was around 10 tournaments through the Bahamas. And that naturally had a point system and, um, and a rating system, you know what I mean? And you were expected to fish the majority of the tournaments, you know. And then you would get, of course, individual tournament awards. Then you'd get the whole circuit awards. And there was there was a lot to it, but where the where everybody got most excited in the tournaments was in the Calcuttas. You know what the Calcutta is? No. All right, so Calcuttas are basically the side bets between the boats. Let's say that the the tournament payout is ten thousand dollars. But then each all the boats amongst themselves had some side bets. Right. So you'd have your originally it was basically um, the Calcutta was the biggest fish. So if there was 30 boats in the tournament and everybody paid 5,000 bucks towards the payout. That's some serious money, dude. And they didn't split it up. It was just on the biggest fish. So you'd have $150,000 Calcutta. That's freaking crazy. And, 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 then, and then imagine then if you won the tournament too. That's uh, like 160. Right. So... The, the Calcutta was always where the most, you know, where the most action was, where the, everything, everybody, that was the big thing, was the Calcutta. Then as the tournaments went on, and some of what I call the softer crowd got involved in the Marlin tournaments, 
Then they started doing a daily Calcutta. Even though everybody paid 5,000 bucks to get in, then they would divide it. They'd take $1,000 out of the 5,000, and then you'd have a daily fish. So whoever caught the biggest fish that day got a piece of that money. I don't like that. Well, I, pr- I would prefer the other way. I liked it just it. sounds simpler. I liked it the other way, but as the marlin fishing people got softer, they wanted more and more prizes, more and more winnings, you know what I mean? And then, you know, it kind of, and in my opinion, that was... Uh... Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I wouldn't say the, the, the end, but that's when everything kind of changed. Because now, in the Bahamas, I don't even think they're going to do the Bahama Billfish chain anymore. Is it still going on now, or have they stopped? I, I, I haven't paid attention, but the last six or seven years that it even existed, you know, there were those tournaments, they'd only get like 10, 12, 15 boats to enter. How many did it used to be? On average, probably around 35 to 40. And now it's like 15? If that. Wow. The last one that I was in was the Bahama Billfish Championship in Treasure Key, um, I want to say 2015 or something like that. About five years ago. All right, so maybe 2013. It was a little while ago. Okay. But it was kind of sad because that particular tournament was in Treasure Key. When I was a kid and stuff, you know, you kind of look forward to that tournament coming to Treasure Key because the whole place would liven up and the boats would be there and the best fishermen would be there and you got to meet these people on the docks and you got to hang out and it was like very... There was a lot to it. It was, it was like, almost like a lunker con, right? It, it was real guys it was hanging a big, out with real guys. Yeah, it was a big time marlin tournament, so everybody was stoked. All the islanders were stoked because everybody was making money. The bands were stoked because there was people there having a good time. The friggin', you know, it was just fun. It was a great atmosphere. So to only have ten or twelve boats in these tournaments, yeah, I mean, it's still fun, but it def- it's not like what it was. Yeah, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like the old days. And the other thing that I that that I noticed about the tournaments. And it's funny you mention this because I'm going to interview a guy named Mike Bondurant. And Mike um, actually ran a whole tournament chain, a billfish tournament chain, and was very, um, very active and knew all the people. And I can't wait to get him in there to get his perspective on how the evolution of the tournaments. But anyway, um, today, these guys got so much dough, most of the guys that are in the tournament. And their boats are so big and badass that, one, to work on these boats isn't as fun as it was to work on, say, 50-foot sport fishing boats. It's just the workload is double and triple. You know what I mean? And then the owners that actually fish, not all the owners, but the majority of the owners don't really give a shit. It's kind of like just a, you know, a big money game. It's all for show kind of. Yeah, let's just say they're not, it's not, their heart and soul isn't into it. They're just loaded, and loaded people do blue marlin tournaments. So they feel like, a lot of them just feel like, ah, we'll do it. But 
you know, it's it's not like they're uh, it's true passion. They're not like Mitchell, where they're worried about how their uh, ballyhoo's are rigged, basically. Right, right. And in the old days, a lot of the guys that owned the boats actually ran the boats. I mean, you know, they drove them and ran them and cleaned them and that's awesome. Did baits and when something broke, they fixed it. You know, and it... Uh, that's real guy shit right there. That's dude. real guy stuff. And then you're working ass to ass with these people for hours and days to accomplish a goal. Which we, And the goal isn't necessarily to win the tournament. The goal is to catch a blue catch marlin. Catch a blue marlin. You know, or get good at catching blue marlin. So I wanted to ask you, so you got the blue marlin, you got the black marlin, white marlin, and I think striped marlin. Correct. Correct. Out of those four, what, did you, what would you say is the, har- is the hardest fighting one? The hardest fighting one, I'd have to say a blue marlin. Blue marlin are, uh, oh, they're, you know, they're plenty big. Now, the black marlin. See, I would feel like the black marlin would fight pretty hard, though, because they're in the Pacific and the water's colder over there. And typically when the water's colder, I've noticed the fish tend to be a little bit more, they have more energy. Well, so I don't know. It's, it, it, seems to me, it seems to me like the black marlin fight more lethargic than the blue marlin. The blue marlin a lot faster more spastic and um, really, you know, adrenaline freaks out in a blue marlin when they get it. Not that black marlins don't, but it's just a little bit different. Um, I've only caught a half a dozen blacks. You know what I mean? And I think my biggest one was like around 450. Wow, that's big. And I had um, I had a pretty I had pretty good video on YouTube when catching one in the Tropic Star in Panama where the fish acted more like a blue marlin than a black. I mean, he was out of the water the whole time and jumping. And That's not the one Scott caught, is it? <clears throat> no. How could he catch it if I caught it? Oh, I thought you said we, we it caught was the one. Sa- it, was the same, um, it was the same trip, though. Okay. And that was my next point, was Scott caught a marlin probably a little bit thicker than the one that I got, a little bigger. This was big. But it didn't really do that much. Like, it did like a half a jump, and we backed down to it, and it kind of laid over and let us tag it, and... Yeah, it wasn't exactly what you would call, you know, um, you know, some epic battle, even though the fish was probably 500 pounds. So I'd never had a big blue marlin not freak out. You know what I mean? And the only big black marlin I've seen, you know, like Scott's, for instance, didn't freak out. And the one that I caught, I don't think took more than seven or eight minutes. And it's 450? Watch it on YouTube. The captain was phenomenal, and then I was angling, so he did a pretty good job there. And the mate was phenomenal, and, you know, they were able to leader it and tag it while the thing was jumping. That's crazy. Yeah. So now, when you fight a marlin, because I remember with the tarpon, you always said to me, you said, keep your rod up, because when he jumps, you got to make sure you can bow to him to give him some line. Is it the same concept with the marlin, or? Not really, no. Just try to keep the rod up best you can? Well, you always want to try to keep the rod tip up, and then, you know, the the thing with the marlin is when he's jumping and stuff, um, for one, their their mouths aren't, like, crazy hard like a tarpon, okay? Um, so one of the reasons you don't want to pull while the tarpon's jumping is because you don't want him to fray through the leader. Yeah. The chances of that happening with the marlin aren't near as what it is like a tarpon. I'm surprised because you would think it's as big as they are. And as badass as they are, that you would. Yeah, and but you know, but you're also using you know 400 pound test leaders. We don't do that for tarpon. <laughs> you know what I mean? So 
anyway, so, you know, you don't have to worry about that as much. And also, too, is a lot of times when the Marlin are jumping, I mean, they have, you know, 150, 200 yards of line out. So when you have that kind of line out there, there's huge bellies in the line. You know what I mean? Yeah. That you just don't get with, you know, the inshore tarpon type fishing. It's a little more dramatic and the jumps are a lot more sensitive. So, yeah. What's the best advice you could give to TJ and I just getting started on it? Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Um, keep adjusting your spread, you know, according to how the spread works behind TJ's boat. Every boat's a little different. You know what I mean? But um, the key to my own fishing is rhythm and going a lot. And there's nothing, there's nothing I can do or any class or anybody can, can you know, teach you. You just have to keep going, and then you take that experience, and then... Eventually, he'll show up. Yep. And um, also work more, because it's expensive. It's, a, it's expensive as shit. It's expensive to marlin fish. You know what I mean? Jesus. I mean, the first part of my life, my number one concern was to make over a million bucks a year to support my marlin fishing habits. Because at that point in my life, I never didn't marlin fish in my whole working life. Yeah. And in order to marlin fish, you really need some serious bucks. Yeah. So that was my mindset. You know what I mean? So if TJ and I were to try to go once a week. That'd be phenomenal. That would be phenomenal. Okay, because I was trying to figure out, like, are we talking, like, two to three times a week? Because with our schedules, wouldn't work. But if we were to go once a week or at least once every other week, is that fairly good? If you guys went a couple times a month, it'd be a lot more than most. And if you went a couple times a month over the course of the year, you'd probably get one. You know, here off of Fort Lauderdale, just because of the number of times that I've been out there, the ratio seems to be about one in four trips will a marlin come up behind the boat and take a bait. That's not that bad if you think about it. Did you ever read The Old Man in the Sea? No, and Lamont keeps telling me to read it. 40 fucking days. <laughs> it took them to catch one? 40 days. Straight. Straight. And a lot of the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of the old timers and stuff, oh, I'll tell man. you. And, and, you know, and, and you know, that book was... You know, that story was written off the coast of Cuba. So for them to have... A 40-day stretch. It could happen anywhere where you have a 40-day stretch without getting a fish. I know teams that have gone two years in a row and fished multiple tournaments without getting a, a marlin to the boat. Now, have they a, even hooked it? Yeah, they hook them, but okay. they lose them and stuff. And um, so but you, it's just you know it's just part of the game, and you can get you know like a gray cloud over your boat. It happens. It could also happen the other way where you get on streaks where you crush them. And What's people are just like, what are you doing different? You're really not doing you're anything. Not, yeah, it just it different. just kind of happens. But mm-hmm. like, what's the, I should say, the best way to lose a marlin when he's on, I should say, just so we know what not to do, basically. Probably the number one, by far the number one biggest mistake that happens is when somebody gets a blue marlin, they slow the boat down very quickly because the marlin hits and he starts ripping off line. And then you slow the boat down. And when you slow the boat down, usually the marlin will kind of take a turn one way or the other. They'll get a big loop in the line and start jumping. And then it come out. And then it can come out. 
keep the boat going forward, get some real pressure on the fish, you know, at the beginning of the fight. Therefore, you don't have to worry about the hook shaking out later. But yeah, I'd say that's the most common mistake because it's a little nerve-wracking to watch the rod bend over and the line screaming off of that thing. And him flying all over the place. And him going all over the place. So it's just natural for the captain to want to slow the boat down. And especially with Marlon, there's also the possibility that he might come flying in the boat. Dude, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's... I told you, I have a buddy that's legit afraid to go because he's afraid of it flying in the boat at us. Dude, the guys that... The, 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 the boats that did have the footage of the Marlin flying in the boats, that's because those guys caught hundreds and hundreds of fish. And then every once in a while, you get a fluke that friggin' jumps in the boat and you got the cameras on and all that stuff. But it's not like a you know high probability that you know you gotta watch that the marlin's like gonna try to attack you and jump in the boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've had them bounce off the side of the boats before while you're leadering them and that kind of thing. I've had them do one hoppers right next to the boat where you're like, whoa, that was a close one. Yeah, whoa, you know, and that's because you know the fish is frigging huge and he's jumping around, so you know it makes it feel like it's closer than it is. Yeah. But then again, you, you do see that shit on YouTube and stuff, and it's pretty nasty and pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's entertaining, but I mean, I'm sure in the situation, you're not thinking that. You're probably thinking, holy crap. Well, it's kind of like going to the beach worrying about getting bitten by a shark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, no, we're still going no matter what. But I mean, is the thought in the back of our minds, well, yes, he could come flying at us? I mean, yeah, but not enough to deter us. No, that's real good shit for, like, reality TV. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like jackass. Yeah, well, you know, like you know, like Shark Week. Like, oh, this is a man eater. You know that kind of thing. I wonder if a, I wonder if a shark could even be willing to to freaking mess with a marlin. Yeah, they'll eat a marlin. We well, probably and have I think to be a, mar- a big shark though. I too. think I think a marlin will freaking defend himself and try to stick a, a shark. Who do you think is going to win, the shark or the marlin? I'd probably, you know, for the most part, I'd imagine it would be a shark, but. I tell you, the swordfishes are so fucking badass, and they got pretty badass attitudes. And I know sharks try to get them, and they turn around and stick those sharks. Just, what do you think is more badass, sword or the, or the marlin? As far as getting you with the bill? No, just just an all around, just a badass fish. In I terms think. Of, I, I mean, I think blue marlin are pretty much to the me most the badass bill fish. To me, the, the marlin is like almost like the holy grail of saltwater fishing. It's the holy grail of offshore fishing. Offshore. Right. You to me, I mean? the holy grail of inshore is bonefish. Well, see, you would probably say tarpon, and that's fine. No, that, don't take this wrong, Busaka. I know, but Go your ahead, opinion right. means nothing. I know. Well, to you, no, your <laughs> opinion means nothing only because you haven't caught all the fish. I know, and you haven't caught all the different sizes of fish, and you haven't fished for them a hundred different ways. So, for you to even understand that yet. Is not going to happen. You know what I mean? And it's like I said, don't take it the wrong way. It doesn't mean, you know, I'm not trying to like belittle no, man, anybody. I get it. I'm but still it's learning, just a matter dude. of experience. I know. I'm when still you put learning. in another 20 years, you know, you're going to think differently than you think now. I already think differently than I did you think, a year ago, actually. You think differently today than you did last week because you got in your first Marlin trip. And that's what I mean, man. You know, things change, life changes. Your mind changes. Your opinion changes. Yeah, we're going to get that Marlin, dude, one day. Well, I don't know when, but we'll get him. Well, dude, you got one whole trip in. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm proud what was of, it? You said one in every four trips. Uh, so I'm three proud. to four more to go, right? No, one in every four trips for, for me. 
Dude, come on, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to say one of four trips. So three more, and then TJ and I can hopefully say we at least got, at least jumped one. Talk to me. All right. After you do your fourth trip with TJ, then we'll bring it up oh, again no. on the podcast. And, you and then let if me... I don't have one, you're going <laughs> to. No, if you don't have one, I, it's, dude, it's normal. It's running fishing. It could happen. You could go freaking five years without getting one. Oh, jeez, I hope not. Well, you do the math. You said if you can go twice a month. All right. You so, said twice a month is still good, right? All right, so that's 24 times a year. Okay. All right. So in the old man of the sea, that had been 40 days, so you went 19 months without getting one. <laughs> God bless Ernest Hemingway, right? <laughs> God bless Santiago. Yeah. It's my hands. My hands. I wish I had the boy. Dude, read the book. How, to get you, how can you be a host of a fishing podcast and not have read Old Man in the Sea? And anybody in the audience Dude, that hasn't read Old Man in the Sea, what the hell? I'm not a big reader. I'm not really, I don't have the patience to sit there and read usually. Then get the freaking audio book. All right. Sit back, and, sit back and dream about it. But the old man, 40 days. Straight. Right. And then when he finally, I, read the book. And he hooked the marlin finally. Was it a blue marlin? Dude, that wasn't even the point of him hooking the marlin and stuff. You have to read the whole book. So is that the ending, I'm assuming? N- so that- you basically spoiled the ending for me. No, that is not the, that is not the ending. The ending's deep. It's Hemingway, bro. Oh, my. You know Hemingway actually had a house in the Bahamas. Had a house in Bimini. <laughs> he did. That, oh, that's great. Captain Obvious. Dude, yes. there's a picture of him in every bar. There is. I know. So I'm sure he did quite a bit of marlin fishing out there. I wonder if he ever fished for bonefish out there. You know, Busaka, it's millennials like you that make it friggin' nice to wake up in the morning. Because you know that these people are going to be experiencing stuff. And it's going to make them happy and infatuated. Like this, whole, this whole thing about you being a flip pal wannabe... I'm not a wannabe. I really like and respect Flip. So anyway, the Flip wannabe Here we thing, go. <laughs> that's generational. This is, that's been going on for like four or five generations. There's a whole bunch, and, and there's going to be a generation after you that watch Flip on freaking YouTube or wherever they see him, and they're going to be Flip Palette wannabes too. I want us to invite Flip to freaking LunkerCon. I just don't know if he would come. He's not coming to LunkerCon. Well, what if we had to go to Titusville? When we go to Titusville, that's where he lives. <clears throat> I don't think he likes hanging with people in front, I understand. Really? But he goes to ICAST. I didn't. I never seen him at ICAST. Yeah, he was there. I'm not saying he wasn't there. I'm just saying I never seen him at ICAST. All right. Well, I'm just, dude. I, 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 I've been around. I see a lot of people. I never seen Flip. Well, you probably also weren't looking for him either. No, dude. If Flip was someplace, I'd love to see Flip. Don't get me wrong. Did you ever actually ever meet him though? No. No, I don't see, think I've you ever hate met on him. And you never even met him. I didn't hate on him. <laughs> I didn't hate on You hate on guys like me for admiring him. I did not hate on guys like you either. Timmy, you gave Timmy the hard time too. Giving somebody a hard time is different than hating. Dude, by the way, okay, your boy Mark Sosen. My boy. Your boy. It could be your granddaddy. What are you talking about? Yes, that's your boy. I tried watching some footage from Saltwater Journal. Right. I had to shut it off. What do you mean you had to shut it off? Dude, I was bored out of my mind. I yawned so many times watching that show, I thought I was going to fracture my jaw. See, that's the, that's the problem with you millennials. No respect. I just, it's not my style. I, I really like the more the flips and the Jose's where it was about the experience. <coughs> as soon as I could find the audio book. All right, so soon, right away. Yeah, I could listen to it before I go to bed. 
Now, because I think... How long is this book? Is it like a me. long book? No, you could read it in a night, probably. The, um, I, just, I just think it'll help TJ out. If TJ is going to be like, you know, your Marlin partner, and considering he has the boat and, and the, the gear and the drive and the dough and everything else that it's going to take to get it, I think you owe it to TJ. To, to read, listen to that. To read or to listen to the old man in the sea story. Maybe he, both, maybe he and I both should actually. Like when we go on the boat, we should have the audio playing while we're marlin fishing. No, maybe no. Maybe that'll bring luck. No, 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 no. I want, I want to know, next week, I want to know if TJ has, has read The Old Man in the Sea. I'd be willing to bet 100 bucks that TJ read it. What if he didn't? I'll be kind of surprised. <laughs> but then again, you millennials don't surprise <laughs> me at all. <laughs> Dude, quit clapping. So sad. That's like, I always think of freaking, what's his name? Rufus, Rufus. when he kept smacking his leg. <laughs> anyway, that's the shepherd, Stephen Busaka. I'm the Lunker Dog. This is a podcast by real guys for real guys. And I hope everybody out there in the Real Guy Nation is proud of Busaka. And has read or is going to release read the old man in the sea we'll be proud of you reading the book afterwards but we're already proud of you for doing your first marlin trip i appreciate that i thought you would be i think so. we'll name this episode blue water busaka <laughs> actually that's pretty good you like that all right everybody thanks for tuning in glad you listened to real guy podcast and run that dog run that dog To succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand presents Saturdays at 8:30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water. Every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.